0: No, the New York Jets aren't dumping Corey Davis yet, but instead it's Denzel Mims on the trade block. Should he be the guy that the Falcons scoop up to beef up their wide receiver room? You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the locked on podcast network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman, a.k.a. Mr. Drew, a.k.a. Serious Black and the very humble host of this illustrious Locked on Falcons podcast or daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of Locked on Sports Atlanta, your team every day. And we thank each and every one of you that makes this illustrious podcast your first listen. Shout out to the everydayers who subscribe and follow for free on YouTube or wherever they listen to podcasts. And you can, too, so that you get the latest episode as soon as it's available. So we are doing a mailbag episode. We got a lot of great questions on today's episode, but we'll be starting things off talking about the latest potential reclamation project for the Atlanta Falcons. And that is, of course, current New York Jets wide receiver. No, not Corey Davis. we're talking about Denzel Mims with reports emerging on Wednesday that the Jets are moving on from Denzel Mims. If they cannot find a trade partner for him, they've informed him that they will soon release him. As of the end of NFL Business Day hours, you know, on Wednesday, they have yet to cut him, which could mean that a trade is in the works uh, for another team. And hopefully that's not the Atlanta Falcons because you guys know how much, I hate reclamation projects. Jeff Okuda is the exception to that rule. And for me, the main reason why Jeff Okuda didn't work out in Detroit is mostly due to related to injuries. And last year when he was healthy for the most part last season and played a full season, you know, he showed that he could be an effective starter in this league. Now he still needs to be more consistent. And that's something that you can expect and hope with time and more reps. Um, but you saw a meaningful play on film last year that makes you think, that he is one of those low risk, high reward uh situations where you know he could turn into one of the top, you know, number two corners in the NFL. Uh, if the Falcons can sort of hit on that. I don't see that sort of scenario with uh Denzel Mims. Now he certainly is low risk, but I don't think the reward is particularly high, right? Because when you look at Denzel Mims's production over the last three years in New York, it's not significantly better than Kadero Hodges production over the last three years in Atlanta, in Cleveland, and wherever else Kadero Hodge has been the last couple of years as a journeyman player. Now you can come up with a litany of excuses for what has prompted Denzel Mims to underachieve from that second round draft status that he was in that 2020 draft. But I think the obvious answer is he's just not that good a receiver. Right And Mims is interesting because he's one of many receivers I watched ahead of the 2020 draft. I watched a lot of tight ends that year, just at random. I just basically made the decision, I'm going to watch wide receivers and tight ends this year for whatever reason. And when I watched Mims's film at Baylor, I wasn't that impressed. I saw him as, as like a mid-round talent, like a fourth-round guy. right? I saw a guy that struggled to separate. I saw a guy that had average speed. Now, he had good body control, made some acrobatic catches, but he tended to body catch a lot of passes. And then he went to the senior bowl, and he apparently shined at that game and, and was uncoverable, according to various reports. And then I remember going into the combine. I wrote down like, yeah, he's got average speed. He'll probably run in the mid four fives. And then he ran like a four three eight. And so then I'm like, you know, okay, maybe I just completely misevaluated Jinzo in. Maybe he's more talented than I thought, right? Because he was able to separate in one on ones at the Senior Bowl, and he's faster than I thought he was. And so he wound up being that second round pick, but. He's basically stunk the last three years uh, in New York and has barely seen the field and been pretty unproductive when he has seen the field. And going back and watching more of his film uh, today, you know, when when news first broke to to make sure I didn't miss anything like possibly. But previously, like he certainly does not play like a guy that runs a sub four four in terms of his speed and whatnot. And so to me, the problem with the Falcons pursuing a player like Denzel Mims is similar to the scenario that they had last year with Brian Edwards. Right, which is basically if he can't win the number two receiver job. And in this case, you know, Brian Mims Brian Edwards had to beat out, you know, Zacchaeus. And now Denzel Mims has to beat out Mac Collins. If he's not going to win that spot, I don't really see a place for Denzel Mims on the roster. Right. Um, similar to what we saw with Brian Edwards, who basically the Falcons didn't really have room for on the roster and cut midway through the season, right? Because the real issue with Denzel Mims is he doesn't like Brian Edwards. He doesn't play special teams, right? And you look at the rest of the Falcons receiver core, whether it's Mac Holland, Scotty Miller, Cadero Hodge, Penny Hart, Josh Ali, Frank Darby, J.J. Arcega, Westside, Slade Bold, all of these guys have experience playing special teams. So even if they don't wind up being starters on this team, perhaps in a scenario where the Falcons add another starter by the name of Corey Davis, right? Then they move down the depth chart, but they're they're still going to have, similar roles or, or some role on the team potentially because they can contribute on special teams. Denzel Mims can't do that. So if he's not the number two receiver, there's really not a whole lot you're going to do with him. And it's going to be the same exact situation as Brian Edwards. And so to me, it doesn't make a ton of sense for the Falcons to, to do that all over again, as if like, Oh, it's going to be different this time because we're getting a player that's been even less productive than Brian Edwards <laughs> in the NFL. Right. And it, in as, probably arguably a lesser player, right? And I'm sure some of you are wondering like, well, does the fact that the Jets are moving on from Denzel Mims now mean that they're going to keep Corey Davis? And the answer is no, right? Mims never had any impact on the Corey Davis stuff that you heard me talk about because it was already a foregone conclusion when the Jets went out and signed all those receivers this offseason that Denzel Mims was not going to stick around this year, right? He he was never a factor in the Corey, so Corey Davis conversation, at least for me, right? And that conversation around Corey Davis to remind you guys, what that, the, the crux of that conversation is, is are the Jets willing to pay Corey Davis $11 million to sit the bench? Right? Because basically the number four wide receiver in the offense does not play a ton on offense, right? Because typically you only really need three wide receivers healthy on Sundays. And so that fourth receiver has to play special teams. And then last year that player was Braxton Berrios, who was the Jets return specialist in addition to being their number four wide receiver behind Garrett Wilson, Corey Davis and Elijah Moore this year. They got Barrios is gone and he's basically been replaced by Miko Hardman. And now we know Garrett Wilson's going to be at the top of their depth chart. They paid Alan Lazard a whole bunch of money. He's, he's not sitting the bench, especially with Aaron Rodgers there. And so it's basically a battle between Randall Cobb and Corey Davis for that number three receiver role. And the loser of that competition is basically going to be the number five receiver that just basically spends his Sundays twiddling his thumbs, Right. And so I can say with some degree of confidence that Randall Cobb is the strong favorite to win that competition because we know Aaron Rodgers loves him, right? Like they have a special relationship, you know, whatever you do in the dark, you know, Randall and and Aaron, whatever you want to do, you do. Right. But we know that, (laughs) I don't know why I brought that up, but you know, we know that Aaron Rodgers absolutely loves Randall Cobb. Right. And, Randall Cobb brings a different skill set, right? He's a slot receiver. The Jets just lost Braxton Berrios, a slot receiver. They lost Elijah Moore, a slot receiver. So there's an opportunity for a slot receiver to come on the team and play. The role that Corey Davis played for the Jets the last couple of years has now been replaced by Alan Lazar. There's no reason for the Jets to keep Corey Davis. This is why I keep pushing this agenda, guys, because you just do the math. And it's it's first grade math, guys. It's, you know, it's 12 plus four. Like it's, it's that low level of math, you know, and somebody you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> but like it's first grade math guys. Like you don't, it doesn't take hard to figure out that Corey Davis. like, they're not going to pay. like The only reason they're keeping Corey Davis is in the event that one of those top three guys, Wilson, uh, Lazard or Cobb gets hurt in training camp. Right. And unless, and again, as I said earlier on the summer, like unless Corey Davis takes a pay cut, And he's going to basically play for like $2 million or $3 million to basically ride the bench this year in in New York. They're going to have to make a choice to move on from him. And so, again, I I say, you know, this is probably not the week that we trade for Corey Davis, but I asked the question, is this the week that we trade for Corey Davis or we pick up Corey Davis? Because eventually the jets are going to have to decide, are we going to pay a backup that's going to ride the bench $11 million and we can save $10 million by cutting him or trading him. Hmm. Hmm. What do you think they're going to do? Again, you just simple guys. So I sit here and I go, you know, they may not cut Corey Davis today, but eventually they are going to move on from Corey Davis. The math is that simple. So why bring in Denzel Mims when the player you want, you just have to wait a month? For them to move on, Corey Davis, and you can get that guy and he can step in and be the guy that actually can beat Mac Hollins in a competition. Denzel Mims has basically been a number five receiver. Why would you think he's going to beat out Mac Hollins? So that's my thoughts on um, Denzel Mims, that reclamation project, not going to go anywhere. And of course, you know, if the Falcons don't bring in Corey Davis, maybe they could bring in Julio Jones. Now, that will be one of several questions that we will answer on today's mailbag question, as well as, you know, what can we expect from Taylor Heineke if for some reason he's forced to be the starter in Atlanta this year? And we'll get into that as we continue today's Locked on Falcons. And our partners over at eBay have teamed up with Locked on Fantasy Football host Vinny Iyer to bring you the best fantasy picks each week all season long and whether you're prepping for the draft or scouting the waiver wire every week we're going to provide you with players that are a guaranteed fit for your roster so with draft prep underway for the upcoming season let's see who vinny has picked for us on this week's ebay's guaranteed fit fantasy picks of the week and if you're looking to make that smooth turn in your upcoming fantasy drafts picking at the end of round one and the beginning of round two you can catch that initial spark and rev up your roster with two elite NFC East receivers in CD Lamb and A.J. Brown, a letter-perfect guaranteed early-round fit. You get it? Letter-perfect, CD A.J. So count on Lamb driving Dak Prescott in the Dallas new-look offense, as well as A.J. revving up Jalen Hurts' downfield throwing once again this year in Philadelphia. And now that Vinny Iyer of Locked On Fantasy Football helps us win our fantasy championships, eBay Motors knows championship team is about finding that player that is a perfect fit and the same goes for your vehicle with eBay's guaranteed fit and over 122 million parts and accessories for your vehicle right at your fingertips. You can make sure your ride stays running smoothly, air filters, brakes, batteries, taillights, alternators, shock struts, you name it. eBay motors has it and they'll make sure it's the right fit for your car because eBay's guaranteed fit helps you understand exactly what part you need for your vehicle the first time. So, go forth, switch gears, crank the AC, and say goodbye to sweating if your ride needs a little fixing up, because now you'll know you'll always be set up for success from the get go with eBay's Guarantee Fit. Every vehicle, everything your vehicle is calling for is just a click away. For the parts and accessories that fit your vehicle, just look for the green check. Get the right parts, the right fit, the right prices at ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay Guarantee Fit only available to U.S. customers, eligible items only, exclusions apply. So, our first question comes from Debo at Debo on Twitter. We need to sign Julio Jones to a one-year deal. I've yet to hear a good reason why it's a bad idea. So, Debo, I'm not going to try to convince you it's a bad idea. I'm just going to basically tell you it's not going to happen, right? And anybody who knows me knows that I love Julio Jones, right? But let's be real here. He's missed seven games in each of the last three seasons. His production has declined in each of the last four seasons. And so you sit there and you go, what makes you think that this trend is going to stop and completely reverse itself this year of all years. Why do you think he's going to be healthier and more productive at age 34 than he was at age 31? Right now, as far as I'm concerned, Julio is the goat. He is the greatest receiver I have ever witnessed play this professional sport. I may be a little bit biased on that, but essentially Julio has not been that guy since October of 2020. And that guy's not coming back literally and figuratively. So, you know, whether you think it's a good idea or not, it's not going to happen. So, and then you couple that with, you know, any perceived bad blood between Arthur Smith and who, it just, it's not going to happen. So you're living in a fantasy world. Debo. uh, Chris Miller at H Chris Miller asks over the last two drafts, the Falcons have used one draft pick on a receiver, which seems like a position of need. What's with the casual approach to building a receiver core via the draft. Well, on average, uh, NFL teams draft one receiver per draft. The Falcons did that in 21. They did that in 22. And they didn't do that in 23 because they didn't have a fifth or sixth round pick. Now, again, I could wax poetic, but the simple answer is the Falcons probably would have taken a wide receiver if they had picks in those rounds. Uh, But since they did not, and the rest of the draft didn't really justify the Falcons pulling the trigger on a wide receiver, you know, and the reason for that is because picking in the top 100 wide receiver class was just not that good. There was a lot of guys that went, in my opinion, again, you can take it with a grain of salt if you want, that went on day two of this year's draft that if you'd put him in last year's draft, which was a much stronger draft class at the wide receiver position, probably would have been like fourth or fifth round picks. So pretty much every receiver in this year's draft, with a few exceptions, some of those late round guys, I think uh, you could argue were maybe a little bit more talented than, you know, going in round five and six and whatnot. But, you know, pretty much a lot of the receivers in this draft got pushed up around. So that's really the reason why the Falcons didn't pull the trigger. They just didn't have enough draft picks. Simple as that. Uh, Jack at Huffy Jack asked with all the moves, should the expectation be that we make the playoffs or should we expect to go seven and 10 again and be happy if we do make the playoffs? So I think the expectation is yes, that we should expect the Falcons to make the playoffs this year. I think you should be happy if they make the playoffs, regardless of what your expectations are, whether they're high or low. Um, you know, otherwise what, you know, what, are, what are we doing here? If we're not happy that you know, as I say that as someone who used to complain about win the Falcons complained a lot when the Falcons, even when they did make the playoffs uh, in previous years. So, you know, I, I, I hope to believe that I've turned a leaf on that in that regard. But, you know, I think when it comes to all four teams in the NFC South, they all should have playoff aspirations. And whoever emerges as the winner of the NFC South probably is going to be the team that gets the best play out of the quarterback that can stay healthy for most of the year and probably will get solid to good play out of their defense. And, you know, I think the Falcons... Are just as good a bet as any of the teams in this division to check all three of those boxes. So that's why I tend to believe, but again, you know, I'm biased, uh, you know, believe that the Falcons will emerge victorious uh, in this division, but you know, if they don't make the playoffs, you know, it's not a big deal. At least for me, I, I think I'm at a point in my life where I'm tired of getting bent out of shape when the Falcons disappoint me for the millionth time as they have over the last 30 years of my fandom. You know, I feel like getting mad at the Falcons for missing the playoffs or, or disappointing or whatever that is, you know, is something for the under 30 crowd when it comes to this fan base. Like, you know, I feel like those fans, no offense, have been kind of spoiled because basically for the entirety of that they've been rooting for this team, they've been generally good over the last 20 years. Um, and so they tend to have differing expectations for this team. And, and somehow, you know, this team basically being a competitive you know slightly above slightly below 500 team is a terrible outcome to them when to me i'm always like yeah that's fine (laughs) i've seen worse fucking teams (laughs) like i'm not gonna get mad at a another seven and ten season like that that does not bother me in the slightest anymore you know um as long as they're competitive each and every sunday like that's all i'm really worried about at this point in time in my life right? I just, I just, I don't want to feel like I'm wasting my time on Sundays. That's, that's really it guys. Like the three hours I spend watching the games and multiple hours doing the podcast. I just don't want to feel like I'm wasting my time talking about a boring, bad team, right? You can be bad, but don't be boring about it. That's kind of my rule at this point in time. Um, just don't be boring. That's that, that to me is the worst of, of at this point. Cause ultimately at the end of the day, sports is entertainment and you know, If I want to be bored, I can just watch C-SPAN or, you know, whatever, like whatever is boring out there. Like, I don't need to be watching this football team be boring. That's that's kind of my philosophy moving forward. But I know other people have different approaches to that. But uh, Baz at Falcon Punch's question is, how big is the drop off from Desmond Ritter to Taylor Heineke? Personally, I'm in the camp that Ritter doesn't have to be great for the Falcons to win this year. But in the case of injury slash poor performance, how are we looking with Heineke at the helm? So, you know, the drop off really depends on how good Desmond Ritter is. And that's kind of an unknown at this point, but you know, I think the assumption right now is Taylor Heineke will give you roughly league average play. Cause that's roughly what he has been uh, the last couple of years in Washington. For example, like the Falcons have been 19th in passing efficiency when using adjusted net yards per attempt in each of the last two seasons. Now, if you look at Taylor Heineke's career numbers, that would roughly course correlate to uh, being the 20th most efficient offense in the league last year. So essentially Taylor Heineke, basically what I'm arguing is Taylor Heineke can continue basically being the 19th most efficient passing offense in the league. Now I think that's also kind of the floor for Desmond Ritter uh, hopefully he can be more than that. But right now, I, I kind of feel like the ceiling, maybe not the absolute ceiling, not the absolute best case scenario, but one of the better outcomes for Desmond Ritter this season, if if a lot of things go our way, is that you're probably looking at an offense in terms of passing efficiency that's in that 8 to 12 range. But I think probably more realistic is in that 12 to 15 range. And so it's like a slightly above average offense. So, you know, let's say if Ritter's 14th most efficient passing offense in the league and, and Heineke's 19th, You know, that isn't a massive drop off. I think Heineke can keep you in playoff contention, but we've seen that in Washington, that he's been most successful when he's been backed by a good defense, like a top 10 caliber defense. And while I expect the Falcons defense to make significant strides this year, I don't expect them to reach that level just yet. I think there's still a couple of pieces away uh, from that. There are a couple of young players sort of maturing into their fully formed versions like a Jeff Akuta, like a Troy Anderson, like an Arnold Abiquetti, etc. Richie Grant, etc. Before we can really start putting those types of expectations. So if Taylor Heineke was to be the starter again, I think he can keep you in contention but ultimately you're probably looking at like another 7-10 and 10 type of year if he was the sort of full time starter of due to whatever the circumstances, as you pointed out, uh, Baz, uh, that he may lead to the starter. So we will continue with more questions on today's episode, including which running back is going to vulture touchdowns away from Bijan Robinson. Is that Algier or Cordero Patterson? Which players I have my eyes on ahead of camp and whether Clark Phillips daily battles with against Drake London and Kyle Pitts will enhance his skills. And we'll continue that to wrap up today's locked on Falcons mailbag episode. So, wrapping up today's Locked On Falcons, I want to give a special shout-out to all of the everydayers, and tomorrow's episode, don't know what we're doing. We'll just wait and see if the Falcons do any roster moves, if they trade for Denzel Mims. Oh, God. got to sit here and pretend that it's a good move. Ugh. Ugh. Positive Aaron is the worst. Uh, anyway, <laughs> we'll see what's up next Locked up Falcons, but continue to make us your illustrious, this illustrious podcast, your first listen so that you can see me sit here and try to tap dance around the possibility of Falcons moving, uh, getting Denzel Mims and I have to sit here and pretend it's a good move. Uh, Let's see how I can cook that up. But uh, let's get into the next question at what at dude guy dead on Twitter. Yes. How many touchdowns will Tyler steal from Bijan? Probably not that many. Right. I think the player you really have to worry about vulturing touchdowns is Cordero Patterson, because Cordero Patterson is like an elite goal line runner, (laughs) you know, based off his production the last two years. If you look at, you know, runs inside the 10 yard line, if you look at all the running backs and it's been exactly 64 of those guys over the last two seasons that have had at least 10 runs inside uh, the 10 yard line and look at the percentage of, you know, their touchdown conversion rate on those runs, how many of those runs wind up in the end zone. Cordero Patterson ranks sixth on that list uh, with a conversion rate of 44%. So that puts him in the 91st percentile among those running backs when it comes. Now, Derrick Henry is probably uh, the guy that you would have guessed was number one on that list, and you you would have been incorrect. Tyler Aguirre, on, on in contrast, ranks 49th on that list of 64 running backs and th- thus is in the 23rd percentile with that so that is an area of improvement that Tyler Algier can get better at but you know CP is just money once we get near the end zone when it comes to getting in the end zone so he's the guy I think Bijan has to be worried about vaulting touchdowns where Bijan <laughs> and Algier lead them down the field you know between the 20s and then once we get in the red zone you know they those guys need a breather and then CP goes it goes in the game and boom we're in the end zone before you look and Kyle Pitts and Bijan <laughs> And Tyler Aguirre, like, you know, where are my touchdowns? That's that's part of the reason why Kyle Pitts doesn't score touchdowns, because this is basically like CP scoring all the touchdowns. Uh, But that's the guy I think I'd be much more concerned about than Tyler Aguirre. Justin Wallace at Catman is real eight on Twitter asks, do you think the Falcons are taking a lead on the approach to taking a running back early in the draft and plan to do it again in six years from now while not resigning Bijan understand this might be too far in the future to answer yeah it's a little too far in the future Justin sorry for that I don't think the Falcons are going to be innovators on this uh, notion of taking running backs high and then just basically every five years using an early round pick on a running back Uh, you know I don't think that's probably a strategy that too many teams are going to ape, nor do I think that's the goal of what the Falcons are planning on doing. I think the Falcons drafted Bijan with the goal that he's going to play a decade or more here in Atlanta, whether he actually does that remains to be seen. And certainly you can, you can, point at data that suggests that that's a long shot based off of the typical shelf life of an nfl running back and that's why everybody hates drafting running backs early and blah 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 you know positional value all that nonsense right but you know I, I don't think the trend you know it seems like you're kind of hinting about the idea that you know the falcons are taking the lead so thus in a copycat league other teams are going to start doing that i don't think you're going to see that very often. I I think the trend is always going to be the teams that have concerns at the quarterback position are always going to be like the Atlanta Falcons are always going to be the teams that tend to be a little bit more justified in taking a running back early uh, to offset those concerns at the quarterback position. Um, And, you know, I don't think the Falcons are breaking new ground in that regard, nor nor do I think, um, you know, we'll see too many other teams follow suit in that. Because again, I think part of the reason why Bijan, is an early round running back is because, you know, because of the way that running backs are viewed a dime a dozen, you have to be truly special to stand out. And Bijan is a relatively rare talent that does stand out in a major way. uh, And you're not going to see too many of these guys come out year after year moving forward. Uh, You know, there'll be a couple of guys every, every now and then, you know, but like, it's not going to be year after year where it's like, Oh, there's a Bijan level talent every single year in the draft. Um, so you're not going to see too many early round running backs in the coming year. So I don't think the Falcons are breaking new ground with that. Newt at Newton legacy asked with the Falcons training camp starting soon. What are a couple of players that you have your eye on? Well, clearly Newt, you have uh, skipped the last three weeks of the, of the podcast. Cause we've talked about a lot of those players, but again, I understand it. We've, we've done three weeks of, of shows. That's like, we did like 11 shows breaking down each position. That's like five and a half hours. So you probably did better things with your time than making this podcast uh Your first listen on those days, but for the most part, like I'm looking at the year two jump guys, right? And Desmond Ritter's sort of chief among those, but pretty much everybody from last year's draft class, I'm invested in seeing what types of jumps that they make this summer. You know, we're locked on fullbacks here on the podcast. So Clint Rakovich, is, is he the Keith Smith era parent, or is you know are we going to be shopping for another era parent next off season? That sort of thing. So. Uh, that's curious. Obviously the starting competitions at left guard, nickel cornerback, those guys competing for those spots. I'll be focused on swing tackle to me is a very key spot on the depth chart. That remains a major question mark going into training camp. So I'll be keeping my eye on those guys, but those are some of the guys that really stand out as players. I'll be focused quite a bit on uh, over the next month or so. Uh, Paul Taylor at Taylor boy, 1977 says, do you think with Clark Phillips going up against Drake, London and Kyle Pitts and training day in and out, um, will this help elevate his cornerback play and maybe earn a roster spot? Well, I don't think you have to worry about Clark Phillips, not earning a roster spot. I, I think, you know, I wouldn't say he's a 100% lock, but like a 97% lock to make the roster. Um, you know, I don't think going up against those guys is going to hurt his game, but to me, Clark Phillips going up against bigger receivers to me is not really the area of concern for me. Like to me, I'm much more concerned about Clark Phillips going up against quicker, speedier guys right? That was one of the things that stood out to me on the film watching Clark Phillips. And you saw that evidence in his matchups against Jordan Addison, right? To, or that's the best uh, clear cut case of that being a concern, right? Like you watch that second USC game, which Clark Phillips played reasonably, you know, played much better against Addison in that game that he did in the first game. But I think that's owed to the film study and the work ethic of Clark Phillips and the anticipation and instincts because there was a play in that game where he broke up a pass in the end zone but you could see watching the the play carefully you could see him anticipate the break that Addison was going to make and he beat him to the ball to break up that pass Uh, and then later in the game there was a play where he gave a big play to Addison and that was a play where he just kind of had to mirror Addison at the line of scrimmage and Addison cooked him with his release off the line and and Phillips got out of phase and kind of fell over and gave up a big play that should have been a touchdown if the ball hadn't been underthrown. Uh, and like those to me sort of those two plays kind of show me my main issue with Clark Phillips. Like when he can anticipate things, like he looks quick and explosive and dynamic, but when he can't do that and he just has to just rely on his ability to stick in a receiver's hip pocket, uh, especially the quicker, faster guys. I saw a guy that struggled to do that more I wouldn't say more often than not, but a, a good bit of the time to make it be a concern. So I'm much more worried about Clark Phillips going up against Scotty Miller in practice than I am about Drake London and Kyle Pitts. Because to me, the concern with Clark Phillips is going to be his guys get, being able to get easy separation against him, right? Those quicker, smaller guys being able to separate against him rather than the guys that, like Drake London, Kyle Pitts, who are not going to win with separation. They're going to win, you know, with contested catch situations and like, you know, Clark Phillips is is always going to be small and he's always going to give up that. But like that to me, he can challenge those guys because they're not going to be able to create as easy separation against him. Uh, So he can at least contest those catches better than a guy that's, you know, pulling away from him three yards because he can't stick in that guy's hip pocket. So that's going to be to me, a bigger challenge for Clark Phillips based off my evaluation. But then again, you know, historically I'm not the world's best cornerback evaluator, Uh, But that's one of the reasons why I was lower on Clark Phillips than other people are, because I'm like, I think this is going to be an issue for him in the NFL when it comes to playing man coverage. Right. He's he's so good in zone because of that anticipatory, instinctual film study stuff. And I don't know if the Falcons are going to play enough zone to really maximize his ability in that scheme. So we'll we'll see. We'll see. But that is going to do it for us here on today's episode guys really appreciate all the questions uh i know i did not answer every question submitted to you that's a possibility that we might get to that on tomorrow's episode but if you didn't get a chance to submit your question for future locked on falcons q a's and mailbags of course you could do so via twitter at locked on falcons via facebook at locked on falcons or i mean i say facebook but i i I think the last time i checked the locked on falcons facebook was like six months ago so (laughs) you know if facebook is your social media of choice then Good luck with it. <laughs> I will get around to your question every six months. Um, but I, I don't know why I continue to plug it. So, Twitter, um, email, it's lockdownfalcons at mail.com. Uh, you can leave a comment here on the Lockdown Falcons YouTube channel. And of course, you can hit me up in the Lockdown Falcons Discord, a link in the description below. Really appreciate it, guys. We'll be back with more content. tomorrow so continue to make us your first listen and for your second listen check out the locked on nfl podcast or uh, locked on sports atlanta all part of the locked on podcast network your team every day